Now, good morning to all of you, brothers and sisters in Christ from SIB Life. It's truly an honor and a joy to come and fellowship with all of you and to share the Word of God with all of you. I truly want to thank your pastor, your beloved pastor, Daniel Tan, uh, to give me this opportunity to come and fellowship with all of you. you know. Pastor Daniel Tan and his beloved wife uh, is a couple that is very dear to me and also to my, to my wife and even to our congregation members because uh, they have shared at our church camp, they have shared at uh, some of our Sunday services, and I've personally heard him uh, when, he, when he talks on apologetics at some of these seminars. You know. So this is a, a man that, and his wife that we truly respect, you know, and we would like to give thanks to God for this couple who is so passionate for God. You know so passionate for God's kingdom and God's uh, righteousness and God's end-time purposes. You know? all right. And a man that is so passionate even for all of you as members of this church. You know? all right. I can see that his heart is for all of you, how he has cared for you, how he has uh, encouraged you and challenged you, you know, to fulfill all of God's purposes. So the Lord richly bless you, Pastor Daniel, and uh, our sister Anne, the Lord be with both of you. Now this morning, I'd like to uh, share my message entitled, The Remnant Church, you know, which is something in the heart of God. Now. now I'd like to share a short YouTube video. After that, I'll share the Word of God. The church has often been called a hospital for the sick. And the Western world is more sick than ever before. Not just with COVID-19, but with a pandemic of fear. Likely end up infecting most people in Very the world. Very concerning. You're concerned? Very. Coronavirus panic shopping. Yet for the first Sunday in history, many church buildings look like this. The virus has church after church. Thousands canceled Sunday services because of the outbreak. will be suspended. What does this mean for the church and for the world? If the church is a building, then what happens when they're closed? If it's an event, then what happens when they're cancelled? And how do we respond in a world that has never looked so shaken? But could this actually be the church's finest hour? To be what the Bible calls us to be? Because the church isn't a building, and it's not an event. You see, even in the midst of this unprecedented global pandemic, I just want one pack. This is the church. There's no toilet paper in the entire store. We are handing out toilet paper. God bless you. Thank you very much. In the midst of the fear, this is the church. In the midst of isolation, this is the church. The church is awakening. The church is resilient. The church is adapting and discovering new expressions for the gospel to reach further than ever before. We've got a total lockdown. Our church, we're going to gather over Zoom, and then we're actually going to FaceTime our friends and family and share the gospel. I'm checking to see if my neighbors need supplies or prayer, and I'm also using Facebook to reach out to those that I can't get to. Driving home on straight corners. The fear seems to be crippling. There is a hope in Jesus Christ. Everyone can do this right now. 
In a troubled world that needs Christ, it's time to be His hands and feet. Christians, it's time to be the church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence with all of us. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence is where, Lord, you will also reveal your heart and your mind to each and every one of us. And I pray that, Lord, even what I would share is nothing about me, but about you, about your kingdom, about your righteousness, about your end-time purposes, Lord. What you are after in the church of Jesus Christ in this great time of shaking. We give thanks to you. Help me, Lord. Help all of us. Prepare us for the great things ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we know that uh, the world is uh, spinning out of control. We know that the pandemic is creating havoc all across the face of the earth, and including Malaysia. We see lawlessness are everywhere. You know? We see the fulfillment of God's word that one more time he is, he is shaking the heavens and the earth. And everything that will be shaken will be shaken. And everything that remains will stand. And that's where we will make a difference in these dark days we are living in. So this morning, allow me to prepare your hearts. I'm not here to talk about ministries. All of us, we know... Uh, we are able to handle whatever ministry God can give to us. But what I want is to address the issue of your heart and my heart. Please allow me to encourage you, to challenge you. you know, right? Now we know that all that is happening, right, we are, there are four matters that we have to consider before us. Firstly, in light of the scripture, in the end times we are living in, we must prepare ourselves for the great shaking that is coming, you know, that will get worse. You know. We must prepare ourselves for trials, for testings of our faith. You know. And second thing, we must prepare ourselves for revival. Because out of this radical shaking, revival is going to take place. You know. We hear much about, in time past, so many revivals have taken place over the centuries. You know. But let me tell you this, you know, all the revivals put together, cannot compare to this one last great revival of God. You know? right. It will be pale in comparison. You know? And God will use this revival to bring in the last harvest and He will come back. You know? So prepare ourselves for revival. You know? Prepare ourselves for the second coming back of Jesus Christ. That Christ may come back in, even in our lifetime. You know? Prepare ourselves for the judgment seat of Christ. That one day, you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of our life to God. And in the midst of this, you know, right, God is preparing His church, right, the overcoming church, the remnant church, you know, that will bring the gospel of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. You know, right? He needs a church that is totally committed to Him and His will and His purposes. You know. He needs a church that needs to be bold and courageous in Him, you know. And especially when we know we are the one that are going to be entrusted to bring the gospel of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. You know. 
And if we are living in fear, in defeat, how then can we bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? So it's important that we seek the heart of God, we come back to God. Imagine after almost a year of this MCO and etc. Within the body of Christ, many are still living in fear, in complacency, in worldliness, you know, in carnality. You know. And how then can we move forward to carry out the end-time redemption plan of God? You know? To carry out the will and the purposes of God? You know? I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. We need to come back to God wholeheartedly. We need to confront the sin in our life, the fears in our lives. You know. If not, we will be paralyzed and useless to God and His purposes. You know. More frightening issues are coming our way. You know. And if we don't overcome now, we can't overcome the worst that is coming. You know. And it is in the worst that is coming that revival is going to break out. You know. So we are living in both dangerous and exciting times. You know, right? But yet, even in the dangerous time we are living in, you know, God is God. He will prepare His church. You know. right. I like what Charles Spurgeon said, in the darkest ages, Christ always had a church. And if darker times shall come, He will have His church still. You know. What a comfort, you know. God is God. He will prepare His church you know, to carry out His end-time purposes. You know. He's still preparing His church to be overcomers so that we can bring the gospel of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. You know. What a comfort. You know. There's hope, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's hope. You know. There's a hope in the midst of the uncertainties. You know. Now in Judges chapter 6, verse 1 to 10, I'll quickly read it. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They came on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came out with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Median so improvised the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescue you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I deliver you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and give you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. The key word here is this, but you have not listened to me. The Israelites are God's chosen people. They've seen the hand of God taking them out of Egypt into the promised land. And they know that God is the one and only true God that they must worship. But yet, they dare to sin against God. No? 
They did evil in the eyes of God. And God sent the Midianites to deal with them. For seven years, it is God who gave them into the hands of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples. And these people invaded the country, destroyed their crops, cattle, donkeys, and ruined everything. You know? They are so oppressive that the Israelites are living in fear. They hide in mountain clans, caves, and strongholds. Because they were fearful, they were insecure, they were intimidated. God's children who knows the power and the authority of God. You know? but yet been defeated by the enemy. And it's God that allowed it. You know? So it's a picture of the church today. You know? That generally, the body of Christ, we are so fearful. You know? We lost every confidence that God called us to be. We lack the power to face our enemies of fear, of oppression. You know? We become oppressed and living in bondage. You know? Hiding in our own prison. So why are they living in fear and bondage? You know? It's found in this verse 10. You know? The root of the bondage they found themselves in is this, you know? because they have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. You know? We, like them, we have also in so many ways disobeyed God. You know? We are compromised on the standard of God. We refuse to heed to His voice, the change, the transformation that's needed in our personal life, that's needed in our family, that's needed in the local churches. You know. But we must. Too many people in the Christian community, we know so much about the Word of God. We explicit the Word of God well. You know. But do we obey the voice of God through His Word and His Spirit? You know. So many Christians have walked in disobedience and expect to be filled with God's power and authority. You know. I believe it's time to know where we have fallen from. You know. Because God's problem is not with the Midianites or the Amalekites. You know. God's problem is not with the enemies that rises against us. Because he has given us the power and authority over all the demons and all the principalities. But why is the church today not experiencing the true power and authority of God? It's because we have compromised. The children of Israel, they cry out to the name of the Lord because they finally realize that only God can save them. Today, we the church, we must cry out to the Lord in prayers. That only God can save us. We must come together and pray. We must cry out to God. And in their cry, God sent an unnamed prophet who is not afraid to say that they have sinned against God because of their disobedience, you know. And this unnamed prophet tells them straight in their face and say that you are the cause of your problem. You know? right. So it's time for the church to turn around. You know? right. That we can always depend on the love and the mercies of God. He's faithful. He will forgive. He will cleanse us of all our sins and all our unrighteousness. You know? 
He can restore us and start us afresh. Every time there's a problem or a crisis, we were told, look at the church, you know. So the answer is within the church. The problem is also from the church. You know. It was said that if you want to know the state of the church, look at the nation. You know. If we have lost our... Look at the nation. And today the church, we have lost our voices, you know, and our power and the respect and the standing. You know. The church, when we speak, nobody seems to listen anymore. You know. But God wants to restore that back to His church. Thank God the remnant church is praying today. Many within the remnant groups are crying out to God, lifting up a prophetic voice to call the church back to a place of repentance. We must cry out to God in our prayers. Individually, we pray. As a family, we must pray. As a local church, we must pray. As a body of Christ, let us gather and pray. Now in Jude, Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ashbirite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. You know. Wine press is where grapes are squeezed into making wine. You know. It's not for threshing wheat. You know. Threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. You know. He's supposed to thresh wheat at the threshing floor. You know. But they were also reduced to almost nothing, Gideon and the whole of Israel. You know. That even the little food that they have left, they have to process it in a hidden place so that the enemy cannot see it lest they even take away the little bit that is left. How sad, you know? Now in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What a comfort. You know? The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon greeted him, you know, right. the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know? right. Now, Gideon is far from mighty. You know? He was hiding, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. You know? But what a comfort, the Lord's heart is still with Gideon and with the Israelites. You know? right. Despite their disobedience, despite their backsliding. You know? What a comfort, the Lord is still with His church today. Now in Judges chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all His wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianite. So Gideon questioned the angel. And the angel did not even bother to answer him. Why? Because the unnamed prophet has already declared what is the problem. It's their disobedience. All right. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Give in the, the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. 
am I not sending you? Right. Go in the strength you have. You know. Save Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. I am sending you. And today, God is calling His church. You, know. you and I, you know. Right. I'm sending you. you know. I'm sending you to do something right. that is beyond you. you know. I will be with you. you know. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in the family. So Gideon reasoned with the angel that his clan is the smallest and weakest, and he's the least in his family. But yet God chose Gideon, the least, you know. So you and I must come to a place we realize that it is no more about us. You know. It's not by our might or our power, it's but by the Spirit of Christ. You know. We must stop all our manipulations of running the church based on what we think will bring God's result. You know. Yes, the things that we do sometimes does bear result. You know. Like one person say, we cannot argue on results. You know. But we, there's a thin line there. You know. Look at the life of Moses. When the Israelites in Egypt were thirsty, and they murmured, they grumbled, and God told Moses, you speak to the rock, and the water will come out. But Moses, what did he do? He hit the rock. And the water still comes out. Both have the same result. But it doesn't mean that Moses have obeyed. It's a thin line. You know. Now in Judges chapter 6, verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. You know. God Himself said He will strike down all the Midianites. You know. And no one, the vast number of peoples like locusts, all will be dead. You know. And God is saying, I'll do it my way. You know. Come to me, I'll help you. you know. I'll do it my way. You know. So in these last days, we need to put away you know, right? if there be any man-made methods to run his church. You know. Let the Holy Spirit take over his church. You know, right? No more man-made doctrines. You know. No more holding fast to the tradition of man. God wants his church back the way he intended it to be. You know. So how did God accomplish all that? And in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 to 26, right, the same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of Asherah pole that you cut down, Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So God, first thing first, He showed them the problem that is in His Father's house. He's, he's saying before you can fix the problem as a nation, go to your Father's house. Destroy the altars of your, that is in your Father's house. Now today, our Heavenly Father's house has many strange authors, you know. Right. 
And you and I know, right? We hear many things that's happening in the body of Christ. We have many strange authors and we have different forms of idolatry. You know? If you and I have anything better than God, we are idolaters. If there's anything that we will not give up for God, it is our idol. If there's anything that you seek with greater fervor than you are seeking the glory of God, that is our idol. And conversion means a turning from every idols. So brothers and sisters, we must destroy the idols that is in our house. We must destroy the idols in the house of God and even in our hearts, you know, before we can have the power and the strength and the bonus to face the idols in this world. Judges chapter 6, verse 27, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. You know. So Gideon did it at night because he was afraid of his family and also the community. You know. Now, whether it's by day or by night, let it be done, you know. And the Lord will deliver His church from fear, from bondage, from deception, from falsehood, from pride, from worldliness, you know. And all these are idols in our lives and in the house of God. You know? In Judges chapter 6, verse 28 to 30, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. So Gideon, destroy the idols in his father's house. You know? right. And when we stand to destroy any altars you know, that are not altars of God in God's house, in our lives, there will always be threats, there will always be ridicule. You know? But we are not to be afraid. We will do what God asks us to do. And we know the consequences the people want to kill Gideon. You know? And in Judges chapter 6, verse 31 to 32, But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now, it's interesting. Gideon's father himself responded, you know, telling the people, would you plead for Baal? You know? it, though it was his own altar you know, that has been torn down, right? he knows that he has compromised himself. You know? But when the altar is torn down, the father rose up to defend his son and mock at the useless God that he has in his own house, you know, that he worshipped. You know? In other words, there's an awakening in the heart of Joash, you know, the father, because the altar has been torn down. You know. When we are obeying God, there's nothing to fear about our father's house. You know. And who knows, 
You and I become the key to the salvation of our household. It was Gideon's obedience that brings an awakening in his own father's life. You know. Wow. And in Judges chapter 7, verse 1 to 2, right? Now here, Gideon gathered 32,000 men ready for war. You know. But God said to Gideon, it's too many. You know. If they win the war, they think it's their own strength. Right? Because God is, is about to show his own power, his own glory. You know. And the first test is to tell those who are fearful to go home. You know. And imagine, you know, 22,000 out of that 32,000 men were fearful and they went home. You know. And that is 68% of the 32,000. Know. They are fearful, they are faint-hearted. You know. right. And I humbly say this, you know, fear is rampant in the house of God. In the church today, you know, among God's children, fear, the bondage of fear is so real. You know, right? Right? We know that now they have 10,000 men left. You know, but yet the Lord said, too many. You know, right? Let me test these 10,000 people. You know. we, we read it, we know. You know right? God bring these 10,000 men to the river. You know, and 300 men drank from cup hands, you know, lapping like dogs, you know, lapping with one hand to drink the water, the other hand free to hold their weapons. You know. In other words, they are all ready for battle. One hand, they were thirsty, they drink. You know. But on the other hand, it's free. You know. They are alert you know, to hold their weapons and they are ready for battle. Whereas the 9,700 of these men, they knelt down to drink, right? their face and their head were thrown at the water to satisfy their needs. You know. They are not conscious of the dangers around them. In other words, they are not ready for war. They are not ready for war. And these 9,700 represent the need-conscious church. You know. Always only concerned about their needs, only concerned about satisfying their, their needs. You know. Now, God is not going to deliver the church by a need-centered church. You know. Now, there's a need for help, for encouragement, etc. I'm fully aware of that. But we must come to church not just for our needs to be met, you know, but we must come before God asking God, what have you for me to do? What is your heart for me? You know. More than just Every time God meet my need, meet my need. You know? right. And then we forget in Matthew 6.33, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all our needs that we worry about, we toil over, God say, I will give it to you. you know? Only 300 men of the initial 32,000 qualify, you know? which is less than 1%. You know? right. They are the remnants. You know? They are the remnants. Only 300 men finally went to the battle. And in the battle, all they have is a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch inside. You know. What a way to fight a battle. You know. A trumpet and a jar with torch to fight against the multitude of people. You know. The Midianites, the Ammonites, and all the Eastern people. You know, which was as thick as locusts with their camels. You know. And they blew their trumpets 
held in their right hand. No? And with their left hand, they smashed the jar and grasped the torches held in their left hand. No? Right. And in this, they created such panic no? that the Midianites ran, they cried out and they fled no? throughout the camp. And God caused the men to turn on each other with their swords and they killed one another. No? And as what God has promised, none will be left alive. You know. So the Lord give Israel total victory. You know. And the Lord will give His church total victory. You know. We will win the war by Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know. So brothers and sisters, the moment we obey, the moment we clean out our acts in the house of God, in our lives, and follow the voice and the instruction of God, we can be assured that victory is certain. You know? The Lord showed His church then you know, right? who He really is. You know? He is the awesome God. He is the everlasting God. He is the great I Am. You know? He is fully in control. You know? And no one can thwart the plans and the purposes of God. You know? right? Because God is God and He is in control. And he, in this case, He has shown the Israelites who He really is. You know? And in Judges chapter 8, verse 22 to 23, the Israelites said to Gideon, after all the victory, you know, they came and they approached Gideon. They told Gideon, rule over us, you, know, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of the Midianite. You know. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, you know, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Wow. The Israelites told Gideon, come, your son, your grandchildren, rule over us. Because it is you that saved us from the Midianites. But Gideon said, no. But the Lord will rule over you. Now we ministers of God, we are called to serve and not to rule over you. And here the enemy is very subtle. The enemy was defeated. But he's still trying to trap the Israelites by trying to make Gideon rule over them. Now, Gideon didn't ask for it. The people were willing to submit to the house of Gideon. And yet Gideon said, no, it is God that must rule his church. And in these last days, we must come to a place where we finally, as pastors, as elders, as deacons, as congregational members, we must, in our cry unto the Lord, and say, Lord, you must come and rule over us. Of course, the pastors, elders, everybody has their role to play. I'm not undermining that. All right. But I'm talking at the end, let the Lord Jesus Christ himself rule over his church. We must show the world what it means to be ruled by our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the King of Kings. It's about the Lordship of Jesus Christ over His church, over our lives. So let Him rule over us, guide us through all the coming storm. Let us return to Him in total obedience, submission and yieldedness unto Him. The end is near. Come back to God wholeheartedly. Get rid of the idolatry in our lives and our churches you know, that is hindering and weakening us. You know. 
We like to say, God loves a sinner and hates the sin. No? But He doesn't just send the sin to hell. No? He sent the sinner to hell. No? And I believe the one reason why the church of God at this moment is, has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. You know? As quoted by Spurgeon. I want to humbly plead with you. Don't just hold on to what you know from God. Learn to obey. Learn to allow God to rule over you and I. So that our faith will bring forth obedience. And God in due time will cause it to bring forth peace in our life. Bring forth power and authority to be weaknesses. It's no more about our programs, our activities. Though it has its desired result, you know, but that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is will we finally allow God to rule and reign over our lives, rule and reign over our family, rule and reign over our local churches, you know, and let Him Himself raise us up to be that church that will make a difference. You know. The remnant church, on one hand, we have the trumpet you know, that will sound the alarm and tell people, repent and come back to God. You know. On the other hand, the torch, the light, you know, to, sh to show, to shine to the world. We need to come back to God wholeheartedly because He has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that You have a plan and a purpose for Your end time church. Even in the midst of the great uncertainty in the midst of all the lawlessness that is going on right now in the midst of this great darkness and your plan and your purpose is for your church to display your glory and bring light in the midst of all this darkness so that men and women will see their light and be drawn to Jesus Christ Lord, Lord we look forward to the great revival where you have said that millions and millions and millions all across the face of the earth will come in at the last harvest. And we know it is a remnant church that's going to bring in the last harvest, Lord. So you help us, Lord. Help us to deal with the sins in our life, the darkness in our lives, Lord. Help us to deal with the disobedience in our lives and help us to submit ourselves to you totally, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Take your rightful place in all of us. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you. God bless all of you.